0: Hello members, welcome back to Joan of Arc. Remember when we left off last time that I told you we'd changed the whole court system so that there was less people in the court, there was no public allowed. That way could get a quicker end result of condemning her, he thought. We're now on the third trial fails, because they're just going to keep throwing trials at her until she's had enough. So, the second trial in the prison was Over. Over. "'and no definite result. "'The character of it I have described to you. "'It was baser in one particular than the previous one, "'for this time the changes had not been communicated to Joan, "'therefore she had been obliged to fight in the dark. "'There was no opportunity to do any thinking beforehand. "'There was no foreseeing what traps might have been set, "'and no way to prepare for them. "'Truly it was a shabby advantage "'to take off a girl situated as this one was. "'One day... During the course of it, an able lawyer of Normandy, Maitre lohier happened to be in the Rouen. And I will give you his opinion, that trial, so that you may see that I've been honest with you. And that my partisanship has not made me deceive you, as it's unfair and an illegal character. What he means is that just because he was with her from a child does not mean he's giving you the facts falsely, he's giving them you correctly. And the so he's gonna tell us the words of what other people thought, in particular this lawyer. Kushan showed Loheur the process and asked his opinion about the trial. Now this was the opinion which he gave to Kushan. He said that the whole thing was null and void for these reasons. Number one because the trial was secret, and full freedom of speech and action on the part of those present not possible. Number two, because the trial touched the honour of the King of France, yet he was not summoned to defend himself, nor anyone appointed to represent him. Number three, because the charges against the prisoner were not communicated to her. Number four, because the accused, although young and simple, had been forced to defend her cause without help of counsel, notwithstanding she had so much at stake. Did that please Bishop Cushon? It did not. He burst out upon Leher with the most savage cursings and swore he would have him drowned. Lohia escaped from the one and got out of France with all speed and so saved his life. How disgusting is that? Because a lawyer dare to come forward and tell him that he is wrong? That what he is doing to Joan is simply wrong? So he's going to have him drowned? The heck? Well, as I have said, the second trial was over, without definite with no definite result. But Kushan did not give up. He could tra- trump up another, and still another and another, if necessary. He had the half promise of an enormous prize, the archbishopric of Rouen, if he should succeed in burning the body and damning the hell and the soul of this young girl. dear me, who had never done him any harm? And such a prize as that, to a man like the Bishop of Beauvail, was worth the burning and damning of fifty harmless girls, let alone one. Yet he wants to be an archbishop. Do you think God would want him to be an archbishop? No, methinks not, guys. Methinks not. So he set to work again straight off next day, and with high confidence, too, intimating with brutal cheerfulness that he should succeed this time. It took him and the other scavengers nine days to dig, matter enough, out of Joan's testimony and their own inventions to build up the new mass of charges. And it was a formidable mass indeed, for it numbered sixty-six articles. The huge document was carried to the castle the next day, March the 27th, and there, before a dozen carefully selected judges, the new trial was begun. Opinions were taken, and the tribunal decided that Joan should hear the articles read this time. Maybe that was an account of Lohia's mark upon the head, or maybe it was hoped that the reading would kill the prisoner with fatigue, for as it turned out, this reading occupied several days. It was also decided that Joan should be required to answer squarely to every article, and that if she refused, she should be considered convicted. You see, Cochin was managing to narrow her chances more and more all the time. He was drawing the tolls closer and closer. "'Joan was brought in. the Bishop of Bouville opened, "'with a speech to her, which ought to have made even himself blush, "'so laden it was with hypocrisy and lies. "'He said that this court was composed of holy and pious churchmen "'whose hearts were full of benevolence, that had compassion to her, "'and that they had no wish to hurt her body, "'but only a desire to instruct her and lead her in the way of the truth and salvation. "'Why, this man, he was born a devil.' Now think of his describing himself as those hardened slaves of his in such language as that. And yet, worse was to come. For now, having in mind another of Lovia's hints, he had the cold effrontery to make to Joan a proposition, which, I think, will surprise you when you hear it. He said that this court, recognising her untaught estate and her inability to deal with the complex and difficult matters which were about to be considered, had determined, out of their pity and their mercifulness, or, of course, out of that, to allow her to choose one or more persons out of their own number to help her with counsel and advice. Think of that a court made up of Lusleur and his breed of reptiles. It was granting leave to a lamb to ask help of a wolf. Joan looked up to see if he was serious and perceiving that he was at least pretending to be. She declined, of course. Why would a lamb want a wolf? The bishop was not expecting any other reply. He had made a show of fairness, and could have it entered on the minutes. Therefore, he was satisfied. Then he commanded Joan to answer straightly to every accusation, and threatened to cut her off from the church, if she failed to do that, or delayed the answers beyond a given length of time. Yes, he was narrowing her, "'Narrowing each chance down step by step, "'Thomas de Couchelles began reading of that interminable document, "'article by article. John answered to each article in its turn, "'sometimes merely denying its truth, "'sometimes by saying her answer would be found "'in the records of the previous trials. "'What a strange document that was, "'and what an exhibition and exposure of the heart of man. "'The one creature authorised to boast that he is made in the image of God. To know Joan of Arc was to know one who was wholly noble, pure, truthful, brave, compassionate, generous, pious, unselfish, modest, blameless as the very flowers in the fields, and nature, fine and beautiful, a character supremely great. To know her from that document would be to know her as the exact reverse of all that. Nothing that she was appears in it. Everything, that she was not appears there in every detail. Consider some of the things it charges against her and remember who it is it is speaking of. It calls her a sorceress, a false prophet, an invoker, and companion of evil spirits, a dealer in magic, a person ignorant of the Catholic faith, a schismatic, she is sacrilegious, an idol- idolater. An apostate, a blasphemer of God, and his saints, scandalous, seditious, a disturber of the peace. She incites men to war, and to the spilling of human blood. She discards their decencies and properties of her sex. irreverently assuming the dress of a man, and the vocation of a soldier. She beguiles both princes and people. She upsurps divine honours and has caused herself to be adored and venerated, offering her hands and her vestments to be kissed. There it is. Every fact of her life distorted, perverted, reversed. As a child, she had loved the fairies. She had spoken a pitying word for them. When they were banished from their home, she had played under their tree and around their fountain. Hence, she was a comrade of evil spirits. She had lifted France out of the mud and moved her... "'to strike for freedom, and led her to victory after victory. "'Hence she was a disturber of the peace, as indeed was war. "'And a provoker of war, as indeed was war again. "'And France would be proud of it and grateful for it, for many a century to come. "'And she had been adored as if she could help that poor thing, "'or was in any way to blame for it. "'The cowed veteran, the wavering recruit, had drunk the spirit of war from her eyes.' and touched her sword with theirs, and moved forward, invincible hence. She was now a sorceress. And so the document went on, detail by detail, turning these waters of life to poison, this gold to dross, these proofs of a noble and beautiful life, to evidence of a foul and odious one. Of course, the 66 articles were just a rehash of the things which had come up in the course of the previous trials. So I will touch upon this new trial, but lightly. In fact, Joan went but little into detail herself, usually merely saying, That is not true, but true. Or, I have answered that before, let the clerk read it in his record. Or saying some other brief thing. She refused to have her mission examined and tried by the earthly church. The refusal was taken note of. She denied the accusation of idolatry. "'And she had sought men's homage,' she said. "'If any kissed my hands and vestments, it was not by my desire, "'and I did what I could to prevent it.' "'She had the pluck to say to that deadly tribunal, tribunal "'that she did not know the fairies to be evil beings. "'She knew it was a perilous thing to say, "'but it was not in her nature to speak anything but the truth "'when she spoke at all. "'Danger had no weight with her in such things.' Note was taken of her remark. She refused, as always, before when asked if she could put off the male attire, if she were given permission to commune, and she added this. When one receives a sacrament, the manner of his dress is a small thing, and of no value to the eyes of our Lord. She was charged with being so stubborn in clinging to a male dress that she would not lay it off, even to get blessed privilege of a hearing mass. She spoke out with spirit and said, I would rather die than be untrue to my oath to God. She was reproached reproached with doing man's work in the walls, thus deserting the industries proper to her sex. She answered with some little touch of soldierly disdain as to the matter of woman's work. There's plenty to do it. It was always a comfort to me to see the soldier spirit crop in her, while that... Remained in her, she would be Joan of Arc, unable to look trouble and fate in the face. It appears that this mission of yours, which you claim you had from God, was to make war and pour out human blood. Joan replied quite simply, contenting herself with explaining that war was not her first move, but a second. To begin with, I demanded that peace should be made. If it was refused, then I would fight. The judge mixed the Burgundians and English together in speaking of the enemy which Joan had come to make war upon, but she showed that she made a distinct distinction between them by act and word. The Burgundians, being Frenchmen and therefore entitled to less brusque treatment than the English, he said, As to the Duke of Burgundy, I required of him, both by letters and by his ambassadors, that he make peace with the king, as to the English, the only peace of them, was that they leave the country and go home. Then she said that even with the English had shown a specific disposition, since she had warned them away by proclamation before attacking them. If they had listened to me, said she, they would have done wisely. At this point she uttered her prophecy again, saying with emphasis, Before seven years they will see it themselves. Then they presently began to pester her again about her male costume, tried to persuade her to voluntarily promise to discard it. It was never so deep, so I think it was no wonder that I was puzzled by their persistency in what seemed a thing of no consequence, and could not make out what their reason would be. But we all know now, we all know now that it was another of their treacherous projects. Yes. "'If they could but succeed in getting her to formally discard it, "'they could play a game upon her, which would quickly destroy her. "'So they kept their evil work, until at last she broke out and said, "'Peace, without the permission of God, I will not lay it off, "'though you cut off my head.' "'At one point she corrected the process verbal, saying, "'It makes me say that everything which I have done "'was done by the counsel of our Lord.' I did not say that. I said all which I have done, well done. Doubt was cast upon the authenticity of her mission. Because of the ignorance and simplicity of the messenger all chosen, Joan smiled at that. She could have reminded these people that our Lord, with no respecter of persons, had chosen the lowly for his high purposes, even oftener than they had chosen bishops and cardinals. But she phrased her rebuke in simpler terms. It is the prerogative of our God, our Lord, to choose his instruments where he will. She was asked what form of prayer she used in invoking counsel from on high. She said the form was brief and simple. Then she lifted her pallid face and repeated it, clasping her chained hands. Most dear God, in honour of your holy passion I beseech you, if you love me, that you will reveal to me what I am to answer to these churchmen as concerns my dress. I know by what command I have put it on, but I know not in what matter I am to lay it off. I pray you tell me what to do. She was charged with having dead against the precepts of God and his saints to assume empire over men and make herself commander-in-chief. That touched the soldier in her. She had a deep reverence for priests, but the soldier in her had but small reverence for priests' opinions about war. "'So in her answer to this charge, she did not condescend "'to go into any explanations or excuses, "'but delivered herself with a bland indifference and military brevity. "'If I was commander-in-chief, it was to thrash the English.' "'Death was staring in the face here all the time. "'But no matter, she dearly loved to make these English art of Frenchmen squirm, "'and whenever they gave her an opening, she was prompt to jab her sting into it. She got great refreshment out of these little episodes. A days were dessert. These were the oases oh, in it. Her being in the wars with men was charged against her as an indelicacy. She said, I had a woman with me when I could in towns and lodgings. In my field I was always in my armour. I slept in my armour. That she and her family had been ennobled by the king was charged against her as evidence that the source of her deeds was sordid self-seeking. She answered that she had not asked the grace of the king, it was his own act. This third trial was ended at last, and once again there was no definite result. Possibly a fourth trial might succeed in defeating this apparently unconquerable girl. So the malignant bishop set himself to work up a plan. He appointed a commission to reduce the substance of 66 articles to 12 compact lies as a basis for a new attempt. This was done. It took several days. Meantime, Couchon went to Joan's cell one day with Manchon and two of the judges, Isambard de la Pierre and Martin Ladvenu, to see if he could not manage somehow to beguile Joan into admitting her mission to the examination and decision of the church militant that is to say, to be part of the church militant, which was represented by himself and his creatures. Joan once more positively refused. Isambard de la Pierre had a heart in his body, and he so pitied this persecuted poor girl that he ventured to do a very daring thing. For he asked her if she would be willing to have her case go before the council of Brazil, and said it contained as many priests of her party as of the English party. Joan cried out that she would gladly go before so fairly constructed a tribunal as that. But before Isambard could say another word, Cushan turned savagely upon him and exclaimed, Shut up in the devil's name! Oh, really? Interesting. Then, when Shun ventured to do a brave thing too, though he did it in the great fear for his life, he asked Kushan if he should enter Joan's submission to the Council of Basel upon the minutes. No, it is not necessary. Ah, said poor Joan reproachfully. You set down everything that is against me, but you will not set down what is for me. It was piteous. It would have touched the heart of a brute. But Kushan was more than that. He was pure evil, that man. Simple as that. He was pure evil. He had no heart. All he was bothered about was getting high up in the church, right? But you tell me this is meant to be a man of God. He's meant to be working for God. But he's happy to tell all these lies, construct all these lies. Bear in mind, he is a big, fat, ugly man. Definitely eats too much. Definitely drinks too much. Definitely has skin problems. Sat there condemning a child, not only is she a child, but she saved France. Yet, he's doing God's work and she is from the devil. Hmm, something doesn't add up there. I think maybe when he died, he went somewhere very hot. And she went somewhere very nice. Or I'd like to think that anyway. I'd like to think that the devil stretched out his claws and ripped that man down to hell where he belongs. So let's hope that's what happened, guys. Because that's the least, the least it deserves. Thank you for listening to this part of Joan of Arc. When we come back, we're going to look at the very 12 lies that are meant to condemn her. And they are lies. They're made up. He makes them up. He likes to do that a lot. But that's what we'll get into. The 12 lies of Joan of Arc. Really, it's the 12 lies of the horrible, formidable priest. How can he call himself a priest at a church, honestly? Couchon. Hmm. Many blessings.